BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today's discussion is with Jennifer Anderson, registered dietitian, who I basically stalked via Instagram because I love her posts on kids eat in color. We are talking about introducing solids, picky eating, regulating appetites, force feeding, and what to do when kids just don't want to eat. And don't forget to stick around after for the show notes. I'm here with Jennifer Anderson, who's a registered dietitian, and I'm going to state your goal that is on your website, helping you get kids to eat veggies and try new foods without a battle. Yeah, that's me. I love it. And I am obsessed with your Instagram because it has, it's kids.eat.in.color because there are just endless one shot tips, like six ways to make eggs or airplane snack bento boxes, or just, you know, attitudes towards eating that are so valuable. So I'm super into it. And I'm trying to figure out if a lot of those things can be expressed in this podcast because they're so helpful. Well, thank you so much. I certainly hope so. So I wanted to start with thinking about proactively starting babies off to have a healthy attitude towards food and if there are some tips with beginning solids or myth busters that you have. And then I want to work our way into toddlerhood. Sounds great. And, and on. Yeah. So starting with babies is the perfect place to start, obviously. There is a lot of talk right now about what the best way to feed your baby is. Obviously, we have a long history of puree feeding, and now recently, in the past 10 to 15 years, we have something called baby-led weaning. Both of these can be completely effective ways to feed your baby, especially from a nutrition standpoint, as long as you are focusing on iron-rich foods for your baby. Baby's iron stores often run out around six months, and breast milk is not a rich source of iron. Formula does have iron. So it's more important if you're breastfeeding. Yes, it's extremely important if you're breastfeeding to do iron-rich foods, but also extremely important if you're formula feeding. And that's just because babies need iron around that time. Now, the thing with baby-led weaning that's so wonderful is that along with baby-led weaning, along with the conversations about food, also come conversations about parenting. Because turns out, one of the most important things with feeding babies and toddlers and small children and teenagers all the way up is parenting. (laughs) 
And baby led weaning actually talks about how to parent a baby through their feeding years and through the babyhood, right? The age six months to 12 months. Puree feeding just kind of leaves you with the nutrition part where we talk about the nutrition. We talk about what should be in those purees, those great foods, those sweet potatoes, those iron fortified foods, those iron rich foods, but it doesn't talk much about parenting. Now, what does it mean to parent a baby while they're eating? One of the things that we most want to do during the early years is to teach kids to tune into their own body because babies, toddlers, small kids, they are most of them, not all of them, but most of them are really good at knowing when they're hungry and when they're full. I want you to say that very, like, I just think that is such an important sentence for people to hear Yes, because we often, from the beginning, really fixate on when a baby turns their head, just forcing them to eat a little bit more, probably because it's normal to want to nurture your kids. And part of that is with feeding. But Mm -hmm. what you're saying very clearly is they generally have their own ability to regulate their appetites. And we need to look for those signs. That is exactly what I'm saying. So when that baby sticks their tongue out, that Mm -hmm. means they don't want any more of that food. That's really important to listen to, especially if you're feeding with a spoon. So what you want to see when you're feeding, if you choose to feed purees and you're feeding with a spoon, what you want to see is the baby opening their mouth and moving their head toward you. If they're not doing that, they are not asking for that food. And the most important thing that we want to see with baby feeding is that you're teaching the baby to express their cues for hunger and their desire for food. Now, baby-led weaning does a great job of teaching that because with baby-led weaning, you give them age-appropriate foods, and that's generally large chunks of foods that are also not a choking hazard. That's a key part. But they take large chunks of foods that they can grasp, and they feed themselves. And in baby-led weaning, the parent does not feed the baby. The, The baby feeds themselves. And either are okay for starting solids. It's a matter of what each individual family is interested in. Yes. But but this will help with the attitude to take. That's exactly right. Whether you choose to feed a puree or whether you choose to teach the baby to self-feed, both of them are nutritionally valid. Both of them are safe ways of feeding as long as you follow the rules. But we want to make sure that in both we are allowing the child to decide what to eat and how much to eat. So that would be either allowing the child to open their mouth and move it towards a spoon or feed themselves. But we don't want to see any of these airplane games where you're going, open your mouth, baby, you know, and that sort of thing. We don't want to like shove a spoon in their mouth. We don't want to force feed them. And when they express to us that they're full, they pull their head away. They start throwing food. They start banging on the tray. They start playing. When we see these things, we can accept that they're not interested in eating anymore and we can move on to a different activity. And how does a parent know, especially a first-time parent, that even if they, you know, that that it's okay to stop feeding them? So let's say they hear this and yes, they want to have a child who can regulate his or her own appetite, but they just feel like they couldn't possibly have had enough. So I just need to get them to have a couple more bites. What is, as a registered dietitian, is there something that you can say to help parents understand how much food 
the, the range, I guess, of food that an infant mm-hmm. or toddler may take in and, and how that will vary by day and kid? Yes, that is a great question. And it's a very common fear. And I understand it fully as a mom of a child who tends to not eat enough for growth. And so I actually had to bring in my nutrition side to support that. But how did I know that? How did I know my child was not eating enough? It's because on the growth charts, he started to not gain any weight Mm. at all for about six months. Now, weight gain is fickle. Growth is fickle. The numbers are going to go up and down. Kids are going to go up and down percentiles. And that's why you need to work very closely with a pediatrician because your pediatrician is trained to know when something is looking off. And your pediatrician will also be able to say, you know, this is normal. This is fine. Because what what we see in babies is, you know, in their first year of life, they're tripling in size. In their second year of life, they're growing a little bit. So what I often see is parents are like, wait, but my baby was eating as much mm-hmm. as me, ages 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 months. And then all of a sudden they stopped eating. And one day they only ate two bites. Oh, my gosh. And that is where the freak out begins because it's really terrifying because you've you've grown and nurtured this baby and it's your job to feed the baby and make sure it's thriving. And then all of a sudden your baby stops eating. It can be a very scary experience. What parents don't know is this is normal. Mm-hmm. It's normal. They don't need as many calories right, for their body size because they're not growing as much. So you want to work closely with your pediatrician and have them monitor the growth. Just go to your normal appointments. And if there is a concern, your pediatrician will definitely tell you. And at that point, you'd want to work with a dietitian to make sure you're feeding the right foods to support growth. But in general, your child is going to eat three bites of food one day and as much as you the next day. And you're just going to be thinking, oh, my gosh, this is insane. (laughs) But it's actually normal. There you go. So babies might accept whatever food you're offering. Mm-hmm. And then they become toddlers, and all of a sudden they're only interested in a particular color food, or they become pickier about not just eating smaller amounts, but they actually just aren't eating as much variety as they so easily took in when they were infants. At what point should you intervene, or should you just provide them with a little bit of something they like and a little bit of something new? Yeah, from the from the very beginning, we want to see parents choosing what is served to the child, and it can be picky. Uh, it can be sorry, it can be tricky <laughs> when your child is picky, mm-hmm. especially when you thought they were eating a lot, and now you think, oh my gosh, they're not eating enough to grow, or I'm afraid that they're not getting enough, and. I'm just really afraid my child is not going to thrive. And so immediately we go from those really nutrient-dense foods to maybe chicken nuggets. Mm -hmm. Because we think, oh, well, because kid foods, my definition of a kid food is a food that a kid is going to like on the first bite, right? Mm -hmm. So we think, oh, well, I'll just use some kid foods and this is the age for that. The thing is, kid foods often aren't as nutrient-dense, and it makes it harder for them to learn to like other foods. So I always recommend parents choose what is going to be served to the child, and then the child decides what to eat from what's served and whether to eat it at all. So, And you can observe 
with your child what they're eating and what they're not and make sure you're always serving at least one food that you know your child is really comfortable with and really likes. It does not have to be a kid food. It could be strawberries. It could be bread. It could Maybe they like uh, chicken with barbecue sauce or ketchup or whatever. Whatever those foods are, you want to vary those, but you always want to serve at least one food at a meal and let the child decide whether or not to eat the other foods. So let's say your child isn't eating the food. A lot of parents are worried their kids are going to get hungry, so they make them something else, and that can lead to a cycle of sort of short-order cook service. So one thing that I noticed that you have a lot of tips on making foods, and you actually have a downloadable shopping list, which is super convenient for busy moms, Mm -hmm. for the, you know, getting a variety of foods, but you offer what you offer. And if they don't take it or they're not hungry, you can put it aside and offer it again later if they come to you when they're hungry versus getting into a cycle of having them get a new food or snack later because they didn't eat. Is that? Yeah. So I don't usually recommend that. Okay. But what I do recommend is owning your worth as their mother. Like your time is so valuable. You do not have to be making multiple meals for your child. And that is just too much burden to put on yourself and to accept. What you can do is observe the foods that your child is 100% comfortable with okay, and make sure that you always serve at least one of those foods at a meal because then if they come to a meal and they didn't eat their their strawberries or their cheese stick or whatever food Mm -hmm. you know that they generally like, you can know, you know, they're probably either one of two things. They're not hungry, which is okay, or they are testing you. Mm-hmm. And they want to know if you really are going to enforce this new idea that you're not going to make them a new meal. And that can be really stressful. What I find is kids really do pick this up quickly that you're not going to make them another meal. And you have planned meals and snacks throughout the day. The food schedule is so important. So if you as the mom have said, okay, I'm going to make sure my child has a, an eating opportunity every two to three hours during this training period. And maybe you can extend that a little bit depending on your kid and what their hunger is. Uh But, you know, every two to three hours with my toddler, we're going to have a meal or a snack. And then if they don't eat one, you know, waiting two hours is actually not that long. And you know that they're going to have a nice nutritious snack at that time Uh and they can fill up and let them eat as much as they want. So if the nutritious snack is more their speed than the mealtime foods. Can mm-hmm. you swap? Can you, does it matter? Yeah, you know, I, for me, meals are snacks, snacks are meals. Just I food. serve, you want to be serving nutrient-dense meals all the, all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I stay away from is making snack time just, quote, snacky foods, right. which tend to be like, fun, maybe like pretzels or crackers or serve those foods, serve them as part of the meal, serve them as part of the snack, but also serve your strawberries, your blueberries, your broccoli, Mm -hmm. your carrots, your cheese stick, your chicken, whatever, you know, whatever the foods are to you, your chickpeas, serve them, serve them at all the meals and snacks. And that way your child knows Real food is going to be coming, and when they're hungry at that snack time, they can really fill up on foods that are going to fuel them for the rest of the day. Okay. And if a child isn't eating any of the foods that you're offering, let's say 
a parent is coming to this a few years in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. by then, they are convinced that their child will only eat kind of the traditional kid foods. Mm-hmm. What is your recommendation to get them to a place where they can stop feeling sort of imprisoned by that kind of food? Yes, this can be such a stressful experience for moms and dads because maybe your child really will only eat five foods. And this is not a failure on the part of the parent at all because um, some kids really struggle. They struggle with the sensory qualities Mm -hmm. of food. They struggle with the experience of eating. Maybe they had a traumatic experience when they were a baby and that has made feeding very difficult. Maybe they have a sensory processing disorder or autism. There's so many things that can kind of contribute to this. And I find that parents feel like they are a failure. Sometimes, especially moms, really feel like they have failed at nurturing their child. When in reality, genetics play a very large role in this. And there are certainly things that they can do at home. So basically what I recommend is the parents really own the structure. They're setting up the mealtime, they're setting up the routine, they're setting up they're setting up what is going to be served and where at the table or in the kitchen or wherever the place is. And then the parent is allowing the child to decide whether to eat and how much. Usually anxiety plays a very large role in this for both the parent and the child. So we need parents to really kind of embrace the fact that they're going to provide the structure and the child is going to make those decisions. Then the other thing that we have to do with extremely picky eaters who are really struggling is to bring them through a sensory experience of how do they interact with foods in a positive way? How do we bring play to the table? Mm -hmm. How do we make eating fun? How do we make it calm and relaxed and a point of connection for the family instead of this scary experience where they're being forced to take a bite or they're being forced to play these games where they had to put food in their mouth and they're not comfortable. Because the thing is, when kids are anxious, their throats close up. They're, I mean, they don't close up entirely, but they get stiff and they can't taste as much and their stomach doesn't feel hungry and it just becomes a really stressful experience and they literally cannot eat. So we need to take them from that chicken nugget that's their one safe food. And we need to help them see that, wow, okay, there's there's other things that are also fun to play with. Oh, maybe they're fun to touch. Oh, maybe they're fun to smell. Oh, maybe you can, yeah, maybe you can lick it. I don't know. And this can often be a long process. Mm-hmm. So let's say your last meal is rejected. Mm-hmm. And they, it's then bath time and bedtime and we're done with food for the night but they get hungry again, right? Where, where do we go from there? This is a super tough situation. And it's hard for me to answer this question as both a mother and a professional registered dietitian, because, you know, the rule is you say, you know, this is, this is, we had our dinner and we're moving on. Now you may like me have a child who will eat dinner and then will consistently wake up every night at two in the morning Uh. crying and saying they're hungry. And at that point, let me tell you, you're going to do whatever it takes to get your kid to go back to sleep just as quickly as possible. 
So my recommendation is for parents who have children who consistently wake up in the middle of the night hungry, maybe their child has a small stomach, maybe they have a small appetite. That's okay. We always do a bedtime snack. It's a planned eating opportunity in our day. My children know on it, know it, they rely on it. The downside of the, that is sometimes they don't eat as well at dinner because they know a snack is coming. Mm-hmm. So that's why if you don't have a child who wakes up in the middle of the night, Just... except maybe, you know, like, I don't know, maybe they're in the growth spurt. It happens once a month or something like that or less. Like, don't have a bedtime snack. Just let them go to bed bummed out for one or two nights. Yeah. Because usually what they're doing, um, and it all depends on your situation, but often what's happening is they're testing that mealtime routine. Are you, am I going to be able to get a snack before bed? Am I stalling? You know, that sort of thing. I also know in real life, when you're staring at a child with those big puppy dog eyes and they're looking at you and they're saying, mommy, I'm hungry. Sometimes it's, there it's are hard. some parents who just say, I'm always going to feed my child in that situation. So if you're that kind of parent, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It means you have a big heart for your child. So do yourself a favor do not provide them with anything exciting. That's a great you know point. You're gonna be if, that if you're going to be that person, not the exciting foods, more like the broccolis. So if you're that person who, and you know, anytime your child asks for a snack you before bed, you're going to give it to them, then make it the exact same snack every time. That cheese stick, that hummus and veggies, that apples and peanut butter, you know, whatever it is for you, make it as unexciting as possible so that it's, there's no incentive for them to eat. They're not like, oh, maybe I'll get a ice cream bar. You it's know. just about they actually are hungry. Yeah. So another thing that emerges, now we're getting more into the preschoolers and through to when you're 99. Right. <laughs> dessert. And the conversations that happen like take three more bites and then you can have a treat. What happens when you tell a child, eat three more bites, and then I'll give you dessert, is you're telling them dessert is awesome and vegetables are not. Mm -hmm. That's what you're telling them. And that's what they internalize. So from that point on, dessert is on a pedestal and they see that as something highly desirable. So what we want to do is we want to take dessert and every other food off of a pedestal and put everything on level ground Okay. because one day your child is going to leave home and they're going to go out into a sugar-coated world and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can eat as much sugar as I want and this is the most highly coveted thing in my family because I only have it if I eat this other food and they've been trained to think that dessert is the, is just amazing. What we want to do instead is we want kids to think, well, dessert is part of life and sometimes we have it and sometimes we don't. Mm -hmm. And that's all. That's it. It doesn't have any moral association. It's just a food. So you offer dessert along with other things you're offering and it has no, there's no value judgment on it. And if they choose to have dessert, do you offer it if let's say they clear their plate because of course they're going to clear their own plates. (laughs) Um, and they then get dessert or do you offer kind of everything at the table at once? How does that go? There's a lot of different strategies and and a lot of this is cultural, but what I find for kids who are obsessed with dessert right now, (laughs) the best thing that you can do is actually serve a little bit of dessert alongside the, the meal Mm -hmm. with no comment. Basically they decide when to eat it, when not to. In fact, 
from a nutritional standpoint, when you serve a little bit of dessert, a small child-sized portion of dessert alongside a meal, it actually helps the dessert, your body manage the dessert a little bit better. Hmm. And you're also showing a child, hey, this is just, it's food. It's food and it's right there. But you know, it isn't a smaller portion. We don't want to be letting kids eat an entire package of M&Ms at dinner time because they will just eat the M&Ms. Not all children will. And what's amazing to see, so let's say you have a child totally obsessed with M&Ms. What I do when I find that my child is like, oh my gosh, candy, 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 candy. Maybe they know you have some leftover from Easter or something, Halloween, and you find them sneaking it. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, what have I done? My child is sneaking candy. Well, it's a super common behavior, first of all. Mm-hmm. And also, you want to bring that out into the open. So you want to say, hey, now is not the time for candy, but we're going to have it with dinner later. And then you put three M&Ms on their plate, and you do that three days in a row at lunchtime or at dinner time. And you would be amazed at how much those three M&Ms become insignificant over time. If there's just a little bit there, or maybe they're maybe they're preschool, they're going to lunch mm-hmm. to uh, school. I'll put a you know six M and M's or you know two little gummy bears or what you know whatever it is in their lunch a couple times a week, and it just begins to be a non-issue because it's there and it's right next to the other food. And there's no risk that they're never getting it again. Yeah, they just they know it's not it's not really a a limited resource to them so, in the same way right. as other. So let's say they want more food at a meal. We're not offering more dessert foods, but you would offer more of the other foods because they know when they're full. Yeah. So the, in that sense, you are expressing that the dessert is, you know, you do want to have a limited amount. Yeah. And that's where it's, ter- it's tough because we don't want to make a big deal out of this. And I mm-hmm. find if you if you start early with dessert – Uh, just being in a smaller quantity, it becomes much less of an issue. If you come in with like an eight-year-old, then you're going to have to be kind of demonstrating that we are going to restrict that food. And we want to kind of avoid that experience when we can. At the the same time, we do want to be practical. And we also want to give kids some opportunities where they can eat as much as they want. So when my kids go to a birthday party, I do not manage what they eat. Mm -hmm. They eat what is available to them and they eat as much as they want. And I'm always shocked when they take one bite of their cupcake and they eat their pizza or they eat their broccoli or their carrot sticks or whatever. So, you know, on holidays, I never micromanage what they eat. They just eat what's there until they're, they eat their fill. We mm-hmm. have to give kids an opportunity sometimes to eat their fill of foods. The, what we're so scared of is we live in a diet culture. Uh, we're afraid that our kids are going to become overweight. Maybe we've been struggling with our weight. Maybe we ha- struggle with our own body image. Mm-hmm. And there's so many messages telling us that you have to be really thin to be healthy. You have to be really thin to be happy. Um, you have to be on a diet always. And then we say, oh my gosh, we have to teach our children portion control. Right. The challenge with that is... We're not teaching them portion control. We're teaching them restriction. And from a biological standpoint, that means that our kids are going to want those things more. Right. So it doesn't feel intuitive for us to let our kids eat as much as they want. Like, oh, my gosh, my child only ate strawberries for dinner. Because let me tell you, if you have a toddler and they like strawberries, they're going to do that. Yeah. But let me tell you, they actually won't do that 
every day for a week. It's not possible. And you don't have to choose to serve strawberries at every single meal for Mm -hmm. a week. If they ate only strawberries for breakfast, it would make sense for you not to serve strawberries for the rest of the day Mm -hmm. and to tell your toddler, oh, we're going to have more strawberries tomorrow. But they had the opportunity to eat their fill. And then the rest of the day, they'll have the opportunity to eat more. And that's totally fine. And all of this goes towards not trying to control something that you never can control, which is what goes in someone else's body. That's exactly right. You control the structure. As parents, we want to control. We we don't want to. It's our job to provide mm-hmm. structure and security for our children and rules and, you know, limits and those sorts of things. But we need to do that in a very nurturing way that allows our children to listen to their bodies and to learn, well, what does it feel like to eat too many cookies? <laughs> right. I, I, I saw my five-year-old. I am so sure he ate like, you know, six cookies. And the next day he woke up and all on his own, he said, you know, I think I ate too many cookies last night. My Both of my daughters have actually said to me, can you please tell me how many cookies I can have because I had such a stomachache last time. Yeah. Those moments have happened. Right. And that helps them. That And that is a learning opportunity that's so much more valuable than you saying, well, sorry, only two cookies, only mm-hmm. two cookies. But when they say of their own, I really right. ate too many cookies. Can you help me figure this out? That's huge. Do let your child decide how much they need to eat. Mm-hmm. If left to you with nothing else, that would be the thing. Let your child decide to eat. That will be the most protective thing for them going forward, whether you want them to gain weight or whether you want them to grow into their bodies. Teaching kids to listen to their body is just the most important thing. Mm -hmm. You can choose what they're eating because you're the one providing the food, but you cannot choose how much they're eating. Yeah. And then I would say that, you know, also, you know, don't have the scale. Don't try to cram nutrition information down the throat of your toddler. You know, don't try to cram anything down the throat of your toddler. (laughs) I mean, they'll teach you that lesson. Right. It's impossible anyway, but just, you know, be nurturing and be present to them. And also, you know, a big thing I see is people just rushing to kid food right away. They feel that fear of like, oh, my kid isn't getting enough. And then they rush to kid food. They say, don't be afraid to wait a little while before you go to those kid foods. Kids' foods are fine. And, you know, kids can have those in moderation. But we, what we really want them eating is that nutrient-dense food that takes some time for them to learn. And so don't be afraid to wait to introduce that kid food. And also, don't quit. Don't quit exposing your child because they didn't like it on the first time. So you keep trying, but you just make sure that that with everything you serve that is new or that they have not been interested in or rejected before, that you provide something that you know that they eat. That's exactly right. And then they're not afraid of that new food because they feel safe that they have something that's going to fill their belly up. Okay. Do have fun at the table. Do have family meals with your child and do help kids learn how cool food is and how colorful it is and how fun it is and beautiful and tasty. Which is why your Instagram is so fun and helpful. Celebrating their skill development and celebrating that stuff is so much more important than saying, oh, you did, I'm so glad you ate your peas. It's so much better to say, wow, you did such a great job stabbing those peas with that toothpick. And I noticed you've been working on it and you got three peas on there. Wow, you did such a great job. Awesome. 
Thank you. And anybody can benefit from your Instagram and your website is? KidsEatInColor.com. Well, it's wonderful. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you so much, Aliza. It's been great to be here. Here are my show notes. Jennifer mentioned baby-led weeding, and I just want to explain what that is. There are two types of methods for infants to start solids. The traditional method is basically you use a baby spoon, and somewhere between four and six months, you begin feeding your baby, and you add new soup-like foods, very thin foods, every few days. And this is to eliminate, you know, the idea that they might be allergic to something or have a bad reaction to something, you eliminate the possibility of not knowing what they might have an allergic reaction to. So for example, you might start with sweet potatoes and breast milk the first day. And then after three days, when you know they're not allergic to sweet potatoes, you move on to pears. I'm just making things up right now. The caveat is that exposure to foods like peanuts, for example, is actually showing a decrease in peanut allergies instead of what it used to be, which was stay away from foods that you might have an allergy to because we were nervous about allergies. So all of that has led people to get more excited about what's called baby-led weaning. Now, instead of just using that spoon where the food starts sort of as a liquid and gets more and more thick, as the baby gets older and can handle it until they're ready for pieces of food. What Jennifer Anderson is talking about is you start a little bit later. So the babies are about six months old and basically you just give them whatever you're eating. I mean, assuming that it's healthy and super soft so that you can prevent choking and they use their hands. So they have to be able to pick up the food and again, it shouldn't be a choking hazard and just put it in their mouths. So they have to be able to find their little mouths. And that's, again, why you want to wait till about six months. And this is supposed to help infants have a wider range of foods that they like, teach them how to regulate their own appetite versus being fed and being told kind of when they're full or when they need to eat more. And also the idea behind it is to be more autonomous. The reality is that the research on this is sort of weak because much of the findings disappear when you look at other contributing factors like socioeconomic status. Needless to say, it intuitively is a perfectly good idea to try if you're interested in it. And remember, sometimes you don't need to go with the data. You you might say, okay, well, look, we don't know for sure one way is better than the other, but it can't hurt and I feel really good about it. So that's what I'm going to do. Because in a nutshell, whether you do traditional starting solids or baby lit weaning, All of those are perfectly appropriate ways to go. Thanks for joining and please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.